Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Song. I could listen to that all day. Exactly. You're blessed, right? You know that, right? I can't find guys in my church to sing much. There's a lot of ladies, but we got a lot of a lot of people in our church. We got about, you know, we got about 200 people that come on the Sabbath, but there's no guys that sing. Okay. So you guys, we're gonna ship you over to our church Sabbaths, two Sabbaths a month. Okay. That's good. So Jay, you were singing bass. A baritone version. See, he does what I do, Tom. People say, what part are you going to sing? The part nobody else is singing. Nice to be back. Uh, I am Pastor Brad. Uh, I'm now a pastor, but better known as Sandy's brother <laughs> and Mary Bell's husband. And we're going to go to this next. Okay, guys? We shut this down, right? Okay. Is that better? Yes, of course. So in a church not too far from here, not a thousand miles from here. Actually, it was my home church. So when I was growing up, Sandy will remember this incident. I, I, I preface my comments today based on sleeping saints in God's church you will always find sleeping saints and it's not always the bad kind of sleep it's the kind you need after a long day or a long week you ever come into God's house and you feel like wow I could sit and listen to that music all day and actually go to sleep and I'd be just satisfied until your spouse nudges you wake up oh yes I'm in church when I was a kid won't mention names, but we had an older couple in our church. They were like the patriarch and the matriarch, the old ones. And they would sit right down here. Sorry, sorry, Dick. Sorry. That's, that's right where they sat. Not on the front row. Not here, but here. And I often say, how you doing? We're going to sing again, okay? Yeah, bless, absolutely. And I usually sat right here because I like to get up front. But there they were entertainment for me every Sabbath morning because they would start going to sleep eh, pretty quick after the sermon started. I think that was their cue, right? I don't know. I don't know what the preacher was like. I don't remember, but he was enough to put them to sleep. Maybe the long elder's prayer was got, what got them primed. I don't remember, but it seemed like the elder was praying for like 15 minutes. Oh, I better be careful. Maybe there's someone, somebody who does that here. <clears throat> so they'd nod off. And they'd, say they'd sleep for most of the sermon. <clears throat> of course, the longer they slept, the louder they snored. <clears throat> now, I liked, when I got about 13, my mother would let me sit with my friends sometimes. But it was not a good idea. Because when the two of us got together, sitting behind that couple, and they'd start snoring, we just couldn't stop. We couldn't stop laughing. We're just not giggling. You know, we don't giggle. <clears throat> 
That's the girl stuff. But the funny part came at the end when, the, when we got done with the sermon and they sat down and the organist and the piano started playing and the lady would always wake up first and she'd whoo, right in his ribs and say, wake up, Bert. You know better than to sleep in church. And the whole church is laughing. They couldn't hear us laughing. They were sitting in front. They didn't know. But we realized we gave them a pass because they were the matriarch and the patriarch of the church. Good people. Raised their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids to be in church with us there. But they were sleeping saints. I think the gospel writers were talking about these kinds of people. Good people. Bible-thumping Christians. People who believe in the three angels' message. People who send their kids to church school. People who know that it's right to drop your offering in the offering plate. But we still sleep sometimes. I would really appreciate it if my angel would now and then just give me a nudge and say, wake up. Let's pray. Father, today as we talk about your sleeping saints, that's us, Lord. We acknowledge our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our fears. Please, Father, wake us up today for a few minutes to remember the words of the coming crisis you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's message is not always about a coming crisis, right? But if you're not awake, you won't know what it is that's coming. Welcome to Goebbels Church. It was always my church, right? When my kids left this church, they said, why did we ever leave Goebbels? That was the best church. So I decided to make you a little screen today and say, welcome. We belong here. God's got a message for us today, as surely as he had it for Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets of old, when he said, I have a job for you to do. And as the prophet said, but Lord, we are not worthy. We're often caught sleeping. God says, I know, but I need you to be my people. So he comes a fire, that Holy Spirit we don't have, or else we wouldn't be falling asleep. After here, the message, and then we are ready to proclaim the message, the gospel. I'd like us to look at one such prophet today. His story is, it's our story. If there's any prophet in the Old Testament you don't relate to, it might be Jonah. Nobody wants to be Jonah. I don't know, that looks kind of fun for a few moments until you get gulped down by the whale, but turn with me your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. This is a classic story, knows it, less and less of the kids out in the world know, but every, every kid who has ever heard a Bible story knows this story. Let's go ahead and read through of the passages, uh, excerpt here on what we'd like to learn today. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for there But to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, 
Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, the ship, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the person who's writing this, and we don't know who wrote it, we think maybe Jonah did. I can hardly imagine he wants to admit this. Well, let's just pretend for a moment that Jonah wrote this book because it's got his name on it. He must have had his wife there saying, put that part in, don't leave it out. It says, from the presence of the Lord. Now, the Bible says he's fleeing down to Joppa. And if you look at a map, it's actually northwest, so it's not down. We Americans, when we tend to look at a map, we say, I'm going to go up to Grand Rapids. I'm going to go down to Andrews University because down is south, right? The Jews didn't reckon space and time like that. They said up was going uphill. So almost everybody when they went to worship. And if you're going to go to Joppa, you're going to go down. You're going to go down. Okay? So he went down to Tarshish. Lord. Let's go to verses 1. I'm sorry, verses 4 and 5. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his. Every man cried out to his God. Hmm. Well, that was in the ship, into the sea, to lighten the load. But where's Jonah? I don't get it, folks. Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. How is this possible? Every man on ship is calling to his God. Now, we look at that passage, we say, well, like, didn't they have gods they worshipped in those days? If you were a Phoenician, your number one god was Baal. So these, these were probably Phoenicians. They were the mariners of the sea. They were the ones who knew how to build the good boats could even had is not weathering that storm. And they're all calling out to their gods. So everybody has, they worship in their house. It's, you know, got the special place on the little family shrine. Uh, we saw that when we were in Thailand. It was astonishing. I have never seen a country that's more like the land of Palestine, as we see it in the Bible, the land of Canaan, where everybody does all these crazy things, these abominable things, and they worship their gods like they breathe air. I've never seen a country like Thailand. That's a message for another day. But those people in Thailand, everybody has their own god. Now, you have a chief god. It's Buddha. But then you have your other little gods that you pick up along the way. And you go in their house, and you see these little shrines with the candles and the little bowl of rice. And they've got the Buddha there, and then they've got all these other little figurines around it, their own little private gods. He's the one that brings the lightning and the rain and the storm. And they're calling on him to stop the storm. But it's not working. So they're going into their truck and they're rummaging through and they're pulling out their, their family god. Maybe this guy will help me. Put it up there. Try to light a candle. Can you imagine on a ship that's going to go down and they're just desperately trying to stay alive? Every man is calling out his god. And where's Jonah? How's that possible? I don't know. He must have had, like, sleeping pills. He had to. He had to take something. I don't know. Maybe he just got himself drunk. And I'm going to forget my deed. I'm leaving the presence of God. I'm going to try to drown my guilt in whatever it is I'm taking. And he's down in the bottom of the ship. He is fast asleep. 
So let's just pause here for a moment. Where are you in this narrative? If God has something for us from the story of Jonah today, from this very famous book, in this, in this very famous book, the Bible, he has a message for you and me today. It's that sometimes we, we, we run from the presence of God. And you don't have to go down to Joppa to get on a boat. You don't have to flee to Tarshish to do it, folks. You can do it right here in Goebbels, you know. You can do it right here where you live. Ellen White, in the testimony of the church, says something really quite, quite eye-opening. She says, God calls upon all, both preachers oh, see, and people, to awake. All heaven is astir. The scenes of earth's history are fast closing. We are amid the perils of the last days. Greater perils are before us, and yet we are. So if you're awake now, say it together. We are not awake. Hmm. This lack of activity and earnestness in the cause of God is Satan. That's, that, that's kind of serious talk to me. If I, this is Testimonies to the Church, volume 1. Hmm. All right, let's go on with the story. Chapters uh, 1 still, we're still in chapter 1, and we're going to verses 6 to 9. Here we go. So the captain came to him, that's Jonah, and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, calling your God, perhaps your God, capital G, will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Now, what do you think Jonah's thinking? You think he knows? Oh, yeah, he knows. Those who are privy to the most information are the ones who are most aware. When God's doing something, he's doing it for his people, hard as it may be. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah, of course. And they said to him, please tell us for whose cause what is your, isn't that what men say to each other? <laughs> you know why they say that to each other? Because that's their ID. Women have the, who I'm sometimes ashamed of. But men, they escape. Oh, I'm a bricklayer or I'm a lawyer. Well, sometimes it doesn't help us escape. If it's not a favored profession, right? Hmm. Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of what people are you? So he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew. Now that one word should have told them what's coming next. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea of dry land. So what he's actually saying is, I know, you've been crying out to Baal. Who made the heaven, the earth, the seas, and everything? Which is, I think, why years later, Jesus must have said, okay, here comes a good one. I'm going to calm the angry sea because nobody can do that except God. And that miracle that Jesus performed when he calmed the sea made everybody sit up. And you read the passage, it says, who is this guy that he can calm 
the angry seas. Jonah knew who he was calling upon. Hmm. How's your sea doing this morning? Interesting, interesting analogies that Scripture gives us because in prophecy, what does seas represent? People. That's the reason why God chose that emblem, why he chose that symbol, because there's so many times we feel like our world is crashing around us. The sea is going to wash over us. It's going to overtake the lifeboat. We're going to drown. So how many of us here swim? Okay, then we can say how many of you don't swim, but they didn't raise your hand. So either... No hands, okay. Whether you can swim or not, it's not a good idea, right? When the sea's billows are washing over you and you feel like you are going to drown, your last day on life is here. Your last day in this world has come. Are you ready for it? I have, a, I have a little drill that I take my psych students through sometimes. Education kids don't get it, but psych kids get it. So I ask them, if you had 30 days to live, what would you do with your time? 30 days. I'll, drill, I'll try it on you right now. 30 days to live. You know the doctor says, sorry, you got 30 days to live. Yeah, really, doc? Yeah. I've seen this type of diagnosis many times. You got 30 days. What do you do? Does your life change? Does anything about what you do in your life change for the next 30 days? I don't see any head shaking. I see one person doing this. So you're evidently not ready for the 30 days. Okay, we'll go to the next one. The doctor says, sorry, you have 30 hours to live. Okay, 30 days didn't do it for you. We're going to go to 30 hours. How many, what would be your thoughts? What would be your action plan for 30 hours? You only got 30 hours to live. Prayer, right? How about 30 minutes? I don't know the scenario, but you're going to run out of whatever it is, air, life support, whatever. 30 minutes. Are you panicking yet? Be realistic. Because the hardest one, of course, is you have 30 seconds. Have you ever been in a life scenario where you had 30 seconds to live? That was it? Because I have been there. And I had a near-death experience. We're not going to go into it. 30 seconds to live. I thought all, my, all the, the scenarios that I'd ever imagined in my life, I said, wow, I'll be ready. No, I won't. No, I won't, because you think you will. But when 30 seconds is there, the first thing you want to do is panic. 30 seconds? Lord, give me at least 60 seconds, right? Right? 30 seconds. Does that change your perspective? Because Jonah was feeling it. He didn't have 30 days. He didn't have 30 hours. He didn't even have 30 minutes. That boat was going down, and they know it. Everybody knows it. They're praying to their God. They're throwing everything off the boat. It's still sinking. And what is Jonah saying to himself? It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we do to this boat because it, this boat is going down and it's my fault. 
So if you feel like your, your life, maybe, you know, your dreams, everything that you've ever planned on, maybe going down, you know, going down the tubes, as we say. Or maybe, you, God forbid, you feel like your church, maybe. is not what it used to be. Maybe not so much here, but maybe you're thinking, my, my, my world church is not what I, what I was, it's not what it was when I was growing up. It's changing. Lord, the ship's going down. Am I partly to blame for that? Or do I keep saying, well, you know, those world leaders, if they'd get the right one there, you know, and they stop spending so much of our money and start using it to do whatever. We always have a narrative. Well, it comes right down to it. We got to take responsibility, just like Jonah needed to take responsibility. Okay, let's read the final three verses for this chapter and see what God has for us. Still the same chapter, verses 10 to 12. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why, what have you done? Have you do, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the... You see that capital L-O-R-D, you know what that means? Now, everybody called their God Lord, and they called their king's Lord, but when you saw a capital L-O-R-D, that meant of the universe, the, man, the God who created everything. He controls everything. He controls the good and the bad. The God of all creation here. They are converted. They see to be all along, and here is his servant. He had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? They knew that God was punishing him. What can we do and still live? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he, Jonah said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now we're going we're gonna to stop the story there. We're not going to finish the story. You know how the story goes. Here's the part. When I saw when I struck me like I'd never seen the story before. Here are these people in the world. They would believe in the God we believe in if they knew enough to do it. If they saw enough demonstration of his power and they said to themselves, wow, this person must be in connection with the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, because they are so different. If they just knew, they'd worship him too. But we're afraid to tell them. I'm not going to go do Bible studies. I'm not going to go knocking door to door, handing out. Not if I have to actually ring the doorbell, because I'm afraid I might offend them. They're scolding Jonah for not giving them information he should have given them. He could have done like Paul when he came on the ship. We got on board and said, okay, guys. I'm a servant of the living God. Let's all pray before we go because we're going to ask the angels to protect us on our journey. He could have done that. That's what Paul did. Paul gathers the soldiers, the captain of the ship, all the people around him. Okay, guys, let's pray. I've received information from God that the ship's not going to go down. Jonah couldn't do that because he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verses 34 to 37. Mark chapter 13, Jesus is comparing the times in which we are living, the times in which we would think it's easier to sleep, to this story, this parable. 
kingdom of God is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know, Jesus said, when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, he finds you sleeping. What do I say to you? I say to you all, watch. Another passage. Jesus loved his parables. He seemed to be able to reach people's minds better with parables than any other means. So let's read another one of them in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 1 to 5. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten young ladies, virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were... Okay. <laughs> took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom slumbered... And Remember, Good. Okay, the good gals and the gals who weren't so sharp had all fallen asleep. Even the ones who had an extra measure of the Holy Spirit had fallen asleep. And Jesus said, not a good idea. But if you're going to fall asleep, make sure you have your Bible right beside you. Because these are the words of life. And when you need them, they'll be there. When I met Mary Bell, I noticed that she always keeps her Bible by the bed. It's always there. People in Puerto Rico do that because in Puerto Rico, lots of evidences all the time of the supernatural world. So Christians down there, they know the power in God's word. If you want real power, God's word with you. Memorize its passages. Don't forget it's the word of God given to us. John White says, the work is fast closing up and on every side, wickedness is increasing. We have but a short time in which to work. Let us awake from spiritual slumber and consecrate all that we have and are to the Lord. His Spirit will abide with true missionaries, furnishing them with power for service. Do you believe that? Don't say it too loudly. Do you believe that? Amen. That's all right, I know. Some of us Midwestern churches aren't so vocal. There's some places I never say, can I get an amen? Because their amens are everywhere. Maybe. <laughs> There's a story about Eric Liddell. I don't know if you've heard about this young man. Do you know the movie that was made years and years ago called Chariots of Fire? Actually, there's many versions of it. Famous book that was written. Do you know the rest of the story about Eric Liddell? Amazing young man. He was from Scotland. Amazing, amazing athlete. Son of Christian missionaries, born in China in 1902. Lived there until he was about five when he returned to Britain to go to school. That's what missionaries did in those days. They sent their kids off back to England or back to France or wherever to be educated. While he was at Edinburgh, University, Lydell excelled at athletics and also played rugby for the Scottish national team, as well as being a noted evangelist preacher. So this guy was very well-rounded. I mean, you have a guy who's an athlete 
and a preacher. It's like Billy Sunday, right? Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player and then became a famous preacher. People listen when you uh, can do more than one thing at a time, right? It's called multitasking. Fortunately, we all can do that a little bit, right? In the 1924 Olympics in Paris, he famously refused to run on Sunday. Now, don't miss this point. He was a Sunday keeper. Because he refused to run on Sunday, it ruled him out of the 100-meter race to which he was best suited, and they all felt for sure he would, he would win that medal. Instead, he took part in the 400-meter race and, against the odds, still won a gold medal. So would not run on Sunday, but ran another day. Much as I would expect that those of us here today, if we had a, a chance to do something out there in the world, we would probably want to honor God. On the Sabbath day, there are just some things we don't do. God asks us in scriptures to make it a very special day when we sync up with him, we get sanctified again in his image, and we want to be perfect like our Heavenly Father. So there's just some things we do. Eric Lydell, doing the best he could with the knowledge he had, said, I'm going to honor God. On Sunday, I will not run. Soon after his Olympic triumph, Lydell finished his studies and returned to China to become a missionary. As well as religious duties, he worked as a science and sports teacher at the Anglo-Chinese College in Tangjin. After the Japanese invasion in 1937, Lydell carried on his missionary work even when it became dangerous to do so. Lydell's wife and children left China for Canada in 1941, but he stayed on to help in any way he could. In 1943, he was interned at Wetling, at Wetling, and he died, I'm sorry, Wailing, Wafang, I'm sorry, Wafang, and he died of a brain tumor just months before the end of World War II at the age of 43. He might not have had all the information we have here this morning, but he did the best he could with what he had. And he wasn't going to go running off to Tarshish. No siree. He's going to stay where God had called him to go. As, as we read in Christian service, our best service for God is to be missionaries. And that doesn't mean we have run off to some far-flung place on earth. To do it, it means it starts right here in our own backyard. We're not running away from the duty God has called us. Therefore, we're not running away from God. Therefore, whatever he asks us to do by his power, we can do. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 12. Paul is trying in the best way he can to wake up the Christians of the early, early Christian church. He says, and do this, knowing that the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is, what's the word? Nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the arm. I like the word there in selection. He says, our salvation is near. You know that Paul understood that Jesus was not going to come in his lifetime. You know that, right? He knew he was going to go to the grave as a martyr. In his prophetic eye, he knew Jesus was not going to come for hundreds of years. 
But he couldn't say it because if he did, the average Christian would become discouraged. So he said, now our salvation is near. Today is the day of salvation. Don't ignore God's call to you to wake up out of sleep because it's not really about living until Jesus comes. It's about staying awake to prepare as many people as possible in your zone to be ready when Jesus does come or when they are killed in a car accident or when they die of leukemia. Whatever it is that will take their life in this world, we do not want to, that to separate them from the love of Jesus. But if they don't know, how can they be ready? Jonah knew better. And he chose to go to sleep. Today, let us choose to stay awake. The work is fast closing up. We have but a short time, Ellen White said, in which to work. Let us awake then from spiritual slumber and consecrate all that we have and are to the Lord. His Spirit will abide with true missionaries, furnishing them with power for service. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we don't want to be asleep. We want to be awake, Lord, to hear every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, please help us to make your word, your scriptures, the most precious possession we have in this world. Please, Father, may we be aware that you know, these, it's these words that are going to give us life and energy and inspiration to stand for you here in the next few months as world's history closes. We cannot know, Lord, all that we are going to be asked to endure with our prophetic eye here today, there's not a person in this sanctuary that doesn't know that the last moments of Earth's history are closing in on us, and it's going to be rapid ones, as Evan White said. Prepare our hearts to stay awake, to hear your talking points for what's coming next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.